Let's go ahead and open up to God's Word uh, this morning. We're going to be uh, in the book of Psalms again. The scripture is printed uh, in your bulletin as well as uh, an outline there for us from where we're going this morning. So this morning we're looking at Psalm chapter 29. And if you remember from the, the previous times I stood up here and talked to you through uh, the book of Psalms, the, the book of Psalms is what's known as the hymn book of the Old Testament or the hymn book of the Bible as a whole, that, that all of the uh, words that are written in this book are, are written in the form of poetry because uh, they are and have been for generations sung in corporate worship for a long time, okay? So in, in the original intent, they were not only... Uh, designed to be read in corporate worship, but also sung in corporate worship, okay? So today we're looking at Psalm chapter 29. If you remember, this is about a month ago now, we looked at Psalm 19, the last time we looked at Psalms, and these are actually connected as creation Psalms. They both speak on the idea of God being sovereign and God being in power over all of creation, Okay, as I've mentioned before, uh, the Psalms have different authors. Again, we're in a Psalm that is written by David, and there's a couple categories in which uh, scholars have put this specific psalm uh, very, with very similar intents. The first one is a psalm of praise. It's, we're praising God for who he is and what he has done. That's the first one that scholars would say that this fits into. The second one is a psalm of victory. And you'll see this as we uh, progress through the psalm itself, that uh, there's language that, that speaks to God as the victor over sin, over all of life in the psalm here. So we're going to kind of flesh that out a little bit more, but we're really looking with either one of these, a psalm of praise or a psalm of victory. In the end, we're praising God for being sovereign over all things. Okay, so that's what we're looking at today, Psalm 29. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it with me uh, this morning. It's also printed in your bulletin, as I mentioned. We're going to be reading all 11 verses. A psalm of David. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders, the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as a king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, what a blessing it is to have uh, your word, a revelation of who you are given to us. But often we will take this luxury for granted that we get to hear more about you, more about ourselves at any time time we want by opening your word. And Father, we pray as we open it this morning that you would change our hearts and our minds, that we would live for you and closer to you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So in the afternoon of May 20th and 2013, a violent tornado ravaged the city of Moore, Oklahoma. This is a suburb of Oklahoma City, and this tornado was 
1.3 miles wide. It was on the ground for 40 minutes, and it it churned a 17-mile path through this suburban town of Moore, Oklahoma. The tornado moved and it flattened neighborhood to neighborhood to neighborhood. And, and the, the energy, the people that have studied this tornado, people say that it, it's just really staggering to think about. This is what thing, one thing I read when I was looking into this storm. It said this, the estimated, it is estimated that this EF5 tornado was up to 600 times more powerful than the atom bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima. Psalm 29 describes the power of God like a raging storm. One theologian says, God reveals his majesty, power, and glory in the furious wind, the pelting rain, the blinding flashes of lightning, and deafening thunder of a violent tempest. To me, it's really interesting that God is pictured this way, right? Psalm 29 helps us to see that the God of the Bible is not a tame God. He's not a genie in the bottle that we can just rub the bottle and ask him for a wish. Say, I need this, I need that. No, we see here that God is the God of thunder, full of power and majesty. And unlike the tornado in Oklahoma, he uses his power for the glory of his own name and the good of his creation. Right before this in Psalm 28, the psalmist says that the Lord is the strength to his people. So in this time, the people were looking to other gods, looking to other people, and worshiping and bowing down to other gods. But we can see in Psalm 29, for us and for the people that was originally written for, that this is a wake-up call, right? This is a reminder for us that the Lord God is the one true and majestic God. He, it's his voice that that, that there is power and glory and majesty, that we all, we all need to come into this place every week and be reminded of God and the power and majesty that he holds. So last week I was speaking with some of the leaders. We're doing leader training from, through the nominations that were put at the end of the year. And, you know, we're talking about this idea of church and kingdom and what, what, what the different roles are, right? And we talked about how the church is a place where we come together on Sunday and, and, and throughout the week and we're trained and we're equipped. And, but that's not the end. We're trained and equipped to go out into society, to be beacons of light, to, to transform the world, right? But we're not called to stay out there. We're called to come back in, as one of the leaders reminded us, because Over and over again, we need to hear the gospel. We need to hear who God is and what he has done for us. So the theme we're looking at today, this is in your bulletin. We'll walk through the the outline and we'll start start through it. The, The theme is King Yahweh is enthroned in glory and majesty. King Yahweh is enthroned in glory and majesty. We're gonna look just kind of straight through the psalm first at his due glory, which is verses one and two. Secondly, his voice of power, which is verses three through nine and Third, his unending kingship in verses 10 through 11. Let's look first at his due glory. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it. Look with me at verse 1. It says this. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Now, obviously, the, the key word in these two verses is ascribe right that's the key word he's saying and um the the word in hebrew is there uh, is similar to the root of to give so he's saying give glory to god 
But when we talk about giving things, you know, sometimes I give my kids a snack or I, I, I give my, um, my wife a kiss on the cheek. Like we, we, we don't talk about um, in the same language that he is speaking of giving something to God. One theologian says this, to ascribe or give glory and strength to the name of the Lord is to acknowledge that glory and strength belong only to Lord, the Lord and none other. The threefold use of the imperative ascribe here is a syntactical throwing down the polemic gauntlet. Sorry, it's really scholarly and nerdy language there. To any who would withhold from the Lord that which is rightly due to him and only to him. So in other words, this glory is only to be given to God. That's what the language is saying. We're to acknowledge that it is God alone who deserves the glory, the strength, and the holiness. Now, verse 1 says, ascribe to the Lord, and then he goes on, who is speaking to, O heavenly beings. You know, we like to read ourselves into the text. The first time I read this, I'm going to be honest. I am imperfect, just like all of us in the room. I said, heavenly beings, I like that. It's talking about me, like I'm a saint, I'm a heavenly being. I started studying the text. I'm like, it's not talking about us. The heavenly beings are actually the residents in the Lord's court. Remember Psalm 29. It's a hymn, right? So there's an assumed audience who's singing this on earth. And they're saying, let's join the heavenly courts. Let's join the heavenly beings who are praising God. And by bringing God the praise, the earthly choir is acknowledging, this is what one theologian says, that they are acknowledging the vanity of all other things which we cling to with trust and love in our place of God. So in other words, this psalm is recognizing the frailty of our faith. It's reminding us that we need to give every ounce of worship to God, and we need a constant reminder of that. Remember, I mentioned that this is a psalm of victory, right? So there's military connotations right here where we are with the use of strength and His name, those two uh, phrases. The Lord's strength was praised over and over again in the Old Testament when it was demonstrated in battle. And this reference to his name was often used when God was the victor. The song of the sea, which is from Exodus 15, depicts God as a warrior. And it says, the Lord is a man of battle. The Lord is his name. Here in Psalm 29, the praise is to be directed towards his name, towards God's name, which is the source of strength and victory for his people. So for us today, as New Testament believers, we can see from Psalm 29 that God is the Christian's soul, strength, and security, right? Often whenever uh, we come to a text, we have to agree with a lot that's going on, right? We agree, we agree, we agree, but then in our lives, we have to look at it and say, functionally, where am I not believing this, right? Where are we finding our security, our strength? What, when life rattles us, where are we going for security, Are we running to God? Are we running in another direction? When we feel weak, what are we holding on to to feel strong? It should be God. But if you're like me, it's often not. So that's why we need to come back over and over again and hear this. That he is our only strength. That when we turn to anything outside of our God in in our weakness, we are functionally saying that we trust something more than we trust God. So for All of us, Psalm 29 is a reminder that we're to turn to him first and only. 
Okay, secondly, let's look at the voice of power. So this is really the bulk of the psalm, verses 3 through 9. He's saying the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord over and over again. Okay, so the verse 3 says this. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory, the God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. So in this main section of the psalm, there's two literary uh, components I want us to look at. First is uh, the voice of the Lord. He says that seven times. It's actually in every single verse except for one in this section. He says it over and over and over again. The second thing I want to look at is this idea of an inclusio or like a bookmarks, the beginning and the end of this word glory. He says glory in verse 3. He says glory in verse 9. So we'll look at those in turn, okay? So let's look first at voice of the Lord. So this phrase is repeated seven times, like I, like I just mentioned, and this repetition is used with a purpose, right? That's, it's actually linking the Lord's voice with the raging storm. The Lord's voice is given to us in a metaphor of a raging storm. It's ironic, though, that God never speaks in Psalm 29. That we're not getting a word from the Lord. We're not getting something physically... Uh, for our ears coming from him. So we're left with the notion that this psalm is less about the content of God's speech and more about the strength and the glory and the might of his voice. The voice of the Lord is explained through this metaphor of a storm. And one uh, scholar says this, in ancient imagination, the thunderstorm was a powerful metaphor for God's coming because it tidally combined both natural and and supernatural connotations. If you've had young dogs or young kids, you know this to be true, right? When a thunderstorm rolls in, I have a 10-year-old dog that still does this. She just did this as a puppy, but she still does this. A thunderstorm rolls in, and she runs under the bed, and she will not get out from under the bed until the thunderstorm goes away. There's something supernatural for all of us. If you've been in a really bad storm, you know that it's, it's frightening, Right? Because there's something that is bigger than us. That someone bigger than us is creating this storm that's all around us. So that's what it's saying, that, that the storm, is, it's both natural and supernatural. That this psalm is a psalm of victory. And, and this section, it explains it a little bit further. The, the, the audience was tempted to worship other gods, specifically gods of the Canaanites. So in Canaanite mythology... Baal, you've probably heard that name if you've read your Old Testament some. Baal was a god that, that the Israelites kept running to over and over again. He was a god of the Canaanites. And Baal was the god of the thunderstorm. In literature of the time, Canaanite art shows Baal uh, wielding thunder in one hand and lightning in the other. This is who they're tempted to go to, right? And there's an account in this mythology that Baal, he conquers another god named Yam. And Yam was the Canaanite god of the sea. Do you see the correlation to Psalm 29 here? That David is using idols of the time to show that Yahweh is more powerful than any god we're tempted to worship. Verses 3 and 4, look with, it, look with me at it. It says this, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The god of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. So he's using language of the time in his context to say that you are to worship God alone because he is the one with power. They were worshiping these Canaanite gods, Yam, Baal, the list goes on and on. And David is saying it is Yahweh that is over 
the waters, not Yam. It is Yahweh who holds thunder and lightning in his hands, not Baal. It is the voice of Yahweh that is most powerful, full of majesty, no one else. He goes on in verses 5 through 6. He says this. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. So we see the raging storm that God is depicted as is, is, is over the waters, but now it's moved to over the land. And David does the same thing. He actually takes two more symbols of Canaanite strength, mountains and cedar trees. And what does he say? The famous cedar trees of Lebanon, they come cracking, breaking down at the sound of the voice of the Lord. He's saying that there is nothing more mighty in creation than the Creator. Verse 6 mentions Lebanon and Syrian moving around like a calf and a wild ox. And I'm honest with you, I didn't understand at all what was going on when I first opened Psalm 29 this week. Once I looked into it, I realized that these are two mountainous areas of Canaan. And the mountains, they peak in an altitude of 10,000 feet above sea level in these areas. They're mountains of strength for the Canaanite people. And what does the psalmist say? In the presence of Yahweh's voice, what do they do? They skip like a calf and a wild young ox. The very voice of Yahweh moves the mountains of strength. Over the winter, we had a few plants that died in our front yard, and we have like a boulder that sits like in part of our yard. And I had to replace these plants, and we were going to reorganize some things. So I was going to pick up this boulder, and I was going to take it to a different spot, 8 to 10 feet away, not far, okay? So I get out there, I'm by myself. I get out there, I'm like, I can pick this thing up. It's not that bad, right? Like, they brought it in with, like, like big equipment. Like, I, like I'm like, I, I got this thing. So I bend over and try to pick this thing up, and like in an instant, I realize I cannot even move this thing at all so i i like limp i i go into my garage i get this i have a uh, a floor dolly that just sits on the floor with four wheels and i push with all my might this rock over on the floor dolly and looking like like if any of my neighbors come outside they're gonna be like what is this guy doing i can barely move this rock right i barely move it i move it this 10 feet and i roll it up and i barely get it done right that's the strength that i have often in our lives we think that we have the strength that God has. It's not a boulder that God's picking up from my front yard in Psalm 29. It's the Franklin Mountains. And they're skipping. Have you ever seen a rock skip like on water? Think about a mountain skipping. We often trick ourselves into thinking that I have the power that God has, Right? We fool ourselves, thinking that, that we, that things around us can make us strong, that I can just, just, just conjure up enough strength to get through it. And the Lord simply speaks, and the mountains move. Not a tiny boulder, but the mountains themselves. So what is David saying about the Lord? That in His voice there is power unimaginable. In His voice there is glory undefinable. In His voice there is majesty indescribable. David here is painting a picture of God in a way that we have never seen anything else look like. Mountains skipping like a wild ox. There's power beyond our imagination. 
Okay, remember I told you we're going to look at the second thing is glory. We're going to look at this bookmark idea of, of verse 3 and verse 9. He talks about, uh, he, he uses this word of glory. It's an inclusio is what uh, scholars would say. So in verse 3 it says this, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. And then in verse 9 it says, The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the, f- the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, Glory! In verse 3, it begins by describing Yahweh, the Lord who is over the waters, the God of glory. The glory belongs to God himself. It's showing us that the glory is a quality that belongs to God and God alone. But in verse 9, the last word of the section is glory. And in his temple, all cry glory. So this would have been a liturgical response, much of like what we just did, like as a call and response. Right? So for the people worshiping in the temple, the last word would have been glory. But in this psalm specifically, it's, he's not just tying off this section with a, uh, in, in a nice way. It's actually showing the very aim of the psalm. That God comes revealing the glory with the desire that his people will recognize him and, and say and respond, glory, glory to our God. One scholar says this, the exclamation glory is both a recognition that has come. The God of the glory is now present. At the same time, a recognition that true glory and thus true worship, obedience, and discipleship belongs to God alone. The call is for us to respond, glory. So when I was in college, I had a couple roommates, very close friends of mine still. They love sports. I'm not a huge sports guy. I love to play Sports, I don't love watching sports. I will watch it, but they love, these are guys that have the baseball game on every day. Okay, so on the weekends, or during the week sometimes when we had a college schedule, we would go to, to Arizona all the time and see football games, baseball games, hockey games. It was one of our pastimes, right? And I always found it most interesting, the football games specifically, because I had only been to a handful in my life. So going to the Cardinal Stadium, we would we'd walk in and you know, there's just a, a noise level, for one thing, in the football stadium that's just unreal. It's so crazy loud. Like, it kind of it, it makes me laugh, right? We go to a football game, it's really loud. When we come to church, we're just like, uh. <laughs> But, like, you know what I'm saying? So, so with, at, at football games, I think that for all of us, we love to see, for me anyway, it was just really impressive the size of the players on the field. Okay, I'm a big guy, but I'm not a big guy compared to any of these guys out there. Like, not at all, Right? And we love to see this, like, almost like extra human strength that these men have, right? We love to see a, a, a football player throw a, a football 50 or 60 yards and a guy catch it despite the defense. We love to see uh, uh, men plowing their way through linemen who are 350 pounds and it looks, like, t- super easy, right? That, that we're amazed at the strength they have. But I think it's really interesting, and you don't get, to get this as much when you're watching it on TV, but I found it really interesting. When we go to football games specifically, I found it really interesting, the commentary that I got from around me, right? Because people are, th- these are like giants on the field that are knocking each other over and making these incredible plays, and I see this guy that's like a buck 20 next to me says like, I can't believe you missed that! How could you not get through the line? I can't believe you couldn't tackle him there. You missed a field goal. That's so easy. Right? 
Like over and over again, I'm, I'm like astonished. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm amazed that I'm even here and watching this thing. Like I don't, I don't care if they, they drop the ball, right? Like it's amazing what they're doing, the strength that they have. But we're so easy to say, oh, that's so easy to do. Like play better, right? The truth is that I would say that 100% of the people that sit in those stadiums could not step on the field and actually compete in the game. Yet, over and over and over and over again, we criticize, right? We say, oh, that's so easy. How could you drop that? Not one person could get in the field. Isn't this how our relationship is with God often? We see God's strength, his mighty power. Yet, we tell God, why are you doing this? Why are you letting this happen? Do something about this. If I had your power, I would be doing this and this and this. So for us this morning, for a moment, I want us to sit in this psalm and realize our place and God's place. That th- this psalm is showing us that, that we are to dwell on the power and the glory and the majesty of God. Calvin says this, that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face, then descends. So in Psalm 29, that's what we're doing. We're looking on God's face first. We've seen that God's face, his glory is illustrated by this raging storm. And it gives us a perspective, right? If you've like, been, like I said, if you've like been out in a storm, like none of us can control that. We have no control at all. But this text brings us to a humble submission to God and his power. We're called to acknowledge that God is in control and not us and that he is the one whom the psalm says, the voice of the Lord is powerful, the voice of the Lord is full of majesty. And just like I mentioned last week, while we submit to the Lord, know that he still wants a relationship with us. He still wants you to to speak your concerns, your doubts, your worries to him, yet not complaining, you have to check your heart with this, right, that you know better. You can really say the same thing to God in two different ways, right? When you ask yourself, when you ask God, you're pleading to him, you have to ask yourself, do I believe that I know better than God? Or am I actually recognizing God as the one who holds the situation in his hand? Right? We can be pleading to God really with two different hearts. So you need to look at your heart when you're looking to the Lord in your hurt. Okay, last thing we're going to be looking at as we, as we wrap it up. Verses 10 and 11, his unending kingship. Verse 10 says this. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. So as New Testament believers, we get to read the book of Psalms in a new way. That here we see is a Lord God who is victorious. It's not Baal who would have they thought often would have been victorious. It is the Lord's voice who is the strength and the power of his people. At the same time, we see that the powerful voice of the Lord is a foretaste in Psalm 29 for the word of the Lord incarnate in Jesus. That Jesus Christ, he is the word of God. He is the full revelation of God, the power of God revealed. Jesus came with the same power that we see described in Psalm 29. And did he blow through cities? Did he do that? No, he did not use his power to ravage the world, conquering his physical enemies on earth. 
No, he came to conquer the biggest enemy, sin and death, by laying down his power instead of wielding it against his physical enemies. By laying his own life down, we get to see in verse 10, the psalm, I mean, we can we speak this about Jesus, that he sits enthroned as king forever. That is Jesus. In verse 11, it says, May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. So the Lord does give his strength to his people. He did in the Old Testament with Israel, and even greater now as New Testament believers do we get to see that we have power through Jesus. That The ultimate giving of strength was displayed by his giving his son to us. So whether it be Baal, Yam, Satan himself, there's no one that can stand in the way of the power of Jesus. He was mocked, beaten, spit upon, murdered on the third day, raising again, beating sin and death once and for all. The greatest display of power creation has ever seen. The creator becoming a man to be killed by the very humanity he made to rescue them from their sin. So verse 11, one more time, may the Lord give his strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Church, in Jesus, the Lord has given you strength and peace. You have been redeemed by the uh, death and resurrection of the very Son of God. In Christ, you have strength that can never be taken away. In Christ, you have peace that can never be shaken. And the response for us is trust. Will you trust him? Let us pray together. Father, it is so easy for us to trust ourselves instead of you, to believe that we have the power to get through life on our own. Father, we pray as we have come to your word this morning that looking upon your face would give us not only more insight and longing to know you, but Father, that we would see ourselves in a new way. Each day we would see ourselves dependent on you, that you are the one that deserves the glory and the honor and the praise of our lives. Father, we thank you for this morning. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.